it's having a good support system too. At times that I've especially been like, this is it. This is the end. I'm going to go find a fence post and impale myself on it. So I, having a good support system is, is kind of key. Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to The Reluctant Agilist. In the podcast, I usually focus on very specific, or I try to focus on very specific topics or do questions from students and things like that. But this conversation is going to be a little bit different. We're going to kind of explore some things that a scrum master or somebody who's acting in sort of a scrum master capacity has done as they've evolved away from being a member of the development team into somebody who is helping kind of guide a team towards a more agile state. And Melissa Watts is here. Melissa, thank you for taking time out of your afternoon. Hello. Thank you for having me. And do you want to tell these folks who you are and what you do and and the amazing place that you work? Yeah. So I am a technical project manager at Major League Baseball. Um, I work on, I have a development team. Um, Before that, I was a software engineer. Um, basically my day-to-day is I work closely with my engineers, um, making sure that they have actionable user stories, work with other TPMs to make sure dependencies are tracked, um, make sure communications are are coherent, make sure we're getting uh, releases out, tracking velocity, um, looking at team performance indicators and seeing what we can tweak or, or, or fix, that kind of thing. Okay. And so before we get into some of the stuff that you've gone through, I'd like to try to set the context and you tell me if I have the history right. So about two years ago, um, that there was a split in the organization and part of the folks who were working on the streaming went over to what eventually became part of Disney and the rest of the folks stayed at MLB proper, right? Correct. Yeah. And you're part of that group that stayed. Um, but can you just, just, from, for, for folks to have an understanding of the giant morass of QA you guys have to deal with, can you give them a sense of the complexity of the QA? So we have several different systems um, going on. In, in my team alone, we're dealing with every day, we're dealing with both legacy code, external dependencies, and, and different vendor systems every single day. So um, it's not just about automated testing. It's it's just a it's we have test engineers who roll up their sleeves and really go over things with a fine tooth comb. And how many different platforms does the stuff you build have to perform on? Pretty much anywhere that you see uh, Major League Baseball. So um, Amazon Fire TV, Roku, uh, PlayStation, Apple TV, all Andro- the phones. Yeah, Android app. You know, Apple. Um, to the point of just your normal desktop as well. So it has to function across the board. And some of those systems you don't have, t- I know that with PlayStation, like you don't have a lot of control over that. They basically tell you what changes they're making to the environment, right? Correct, yeah. Same, uh, Apple is also very sensitive. I personally don't don't work with, with them, so I can't speak to the complexities on that, but I, I, know, okay. that, I know that I know that there's some difficulty there. So there's, there's lots of different environments the stuff that you work on has to survive and you can't have any downtime because if you do you're taking away our national pastime from people that want to watch it and celebrate it yes especially during jewel events where there's a lot more eyes and a lot more fingers clicking on things so a jewel event would be like an, an example would be uh, the all-star game the postseason okay. world series so you're in the uh, middle of this right now yes, yes okay yeah. <laughs> so no pressure <laughs> 
right. Um, so can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges you faced going from being a development team member to somebody who was trying to help act in a scrum master capacity or the closest thing that you guys have to a scrum master capacity? So, so being a software engineer and going from that to transitioning into a, a scrum master, it's sometimes hard to shut that off, right? Because when the team is pointing, you're, you're looking at what they're pointing and you're thinking, okay, well, maybe I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that estimate, but then you have to remember that it's not up to me and I'm also not the one touching the code and it's, and it's really um, out of the team's hands. It, it's good to, I mean, I don't, I look at that and I'm glad that I was a software engineer because it makes me a lot more sympathetic to what my team does every day and making sure um, how much a good story makes all the difference in the world and making sure that, that um, I'm working with product yeah. to do my best to make sure that those stories are, are in the right place. Um, but it's not always easy to shut off being the software engineer. Did you, did you find that, that you were kind of like in the back of your head thinking like, yeah, that's just not, that's wrong. That's not going to work. Like yes. <laughs> yes. Especially, um, my, my place at the company, um, I worked on a lot of the legacy stuff. Okay. So a lot of the time when, uh, right now the, the company has really made a focus to pay down that technical debt and really, um, update and, and bring things into where they should be. So, a lot of the time I'll look at the legacy work and, and I'll look at the team working on it and I'll think about my own knowledge base. And even though it's a, it's a couple of years old and, and probably obsolete because technology are only ever what, six months ahead yeah. of the game at any point, I still have, I still have minutes where I'm like, no, I wouldn't do it that way. What are you talking about? What? So how do you, how do you quell that voice? I mean, that's gotta be difficult. It's, it's been a really, it's been an exercise of learning to sit on my hands. Um, Mike, okay. Daly, <laughs> Mike, Mike Daly, who is, uh, who is the head of program management at MLB and who has been on, on your show. Yeah. He's, he's always been the, the biggest advocate of learn when, learn the battles that you can, that you can fight. And if you, and a lot of the time, learn when to sit on your hands. It's one of the greatest yeah. gifts you can have is learn when to sit on your hands. Um, so that was something that, especially my first year as Scrum Master, it, was, it, it wasn't always easy, especially as the Jersey Italian, right? Like I have a tendency- <laughs> Wave <laughs> have your hands at everything. Yeah, I have a tendency to wave gestures, speak in caps lock. So it was, a, it was definitely an, an effort of learning when to stay quiet and to kind of school the face too, because that's the other part is that a lot of the time while you think you're sitting on your hands, you're making the face. Yeah, it's going <laughs> to so, get out one way or another. Yeah, so <laughs> I, it's, it, it was learning also that my, you know, that my team are all awesome at what they do and just trusting in what they're deciding and, and helping them where I can. So was that, I mean, I know that, that kind of keeping the voice quiet is challenging and the face, but to me that, well, you just mentioned, there's another side of that where it's not just like the initial reactions, I wouldn't do it that way. This is the way I would do it. But then there's the sense of, do I trust these people that even though they're not going to do it the way I would do it, that their solution is going to be good anyway. 
did you find that the trust was an easy thing to to come by or did that take a bit of work as well? I think, I think anytime you join a team, because the other, the other thing too, about the team that I joined was we were all newly formed. Um, most of the team members had only just joined in that configuration, including me um, at that point. So we were all kind of learning to work with each other. And with that comes trust, right? You, you, have, you have to look at each other and, and there's that always like, is this guy all right? Is it, do I, do we, do <laughs> we work broken well? to yeah. me today. <laughs> do we, do we work well together? So it, and I think that that only comes with time when, when the team matures and learns to work well together and, and learns to have that trust in each other. Okay. Um, I tried to work faster at coming by that trust because if you can't trust in your team members, then, then it's lost, right? Like yeah. you, then there's no point. Okay. What was the hardest part for you of, of putting and we getting to this brand new team, moving into this new role? What was the most challenging aspect of that? You know, um, I would say the most challenging came from myself, just make the making sure walking into it, I was like, all right, let me not fuck this up. Like <laughs> I just don't wanna, I just don't wanna steer anything into a into a ditch. Yeah. Um and but I was also really fortunate in that respect because again going back to Mike Daly, he worked really hard in his department to create this kind of biker gang of TPMs. And you know, he he made sure that everybody has a mentor, that everybody has somebody that you can sound a sounding board that you can talk to and and problem solve. And that came in really handy. Um, especially since as, as much as you think sitting on the other side as a software engineer, that, that you have a handle on what being a, a scrum master or project manager can be. Yeah. It's totally, when you're in the other side, it's, it's totally different. Um, okay. and the decisions that you're making are, are not the decisions that you necessarily thought you would be when you were a software engineer looking at, at that. Okay. So I want to I want to add a little bit of background stuff for the folks that are listening. So so two things about this organization is that there's a tremendous amount of coverage and support from from leadership. Like Michael Daly does a great job of taking care of people that that work with him. Um, and the way that they that Agile is practiced at MLB is totally not textbook. I mean, it's a it's a bunch of different weird things that I mean we've done a podcast with this about this topic in the past where it's like, if I looked at it from the outside, I'd be like, that's just not right, but it works. And I think that's an important lesson. If it works, that's all that matters. Well, that's the thing, but that's also what I think is the, is great about even the scrum framework, right? It's a framework. You're meant to uh, apply things, apply the principles and then work from there. Yeah. So, and that, you know, that's what we did as a team and you know, my team was also infinitely patient. So when we realized things weren't working, um, velocity, finding a consistent velocity was a huge problem. We was a huge challenge for us, especially with the fact that the team that I have, they, um, one of their biggest challenges is that they have a lot of, uh, a lot of perceived churn because a lot of bugs come in and these things are, 
bugs that are fan facing. So there, so the company is a lot more sensitive to making sure that those are addressed as soon as possible. So it's hard to adhere to a two week sprint commitment where you decide, okay, these are the things we're going to work on. We're not going to bring anything else in. So it was trying to find the, the right fit to, for the team to feel like they they weren't just churning through that. They weren't just, just making a fake commitment every yeah. two weeks. Well, and, th- and, so, and there's multiple levels because you had the estimation challenge. We did, fi- yeah. Figuring out their capacity. And I just want to make sure for the folks that are listening that when, when let's talk about velocity, you're really talking about predictability. Like the, can they make a meet a commitment? Right? Yes, yes. And when that was, and that's a struggle because in the middle of the season with a lot of technical debt and a lot of legacy systems and these bugs that keep cropping up because there's so many different platforms, you can't just put those on hold. So a lot of fires that have to be fought right away. Um, and I mean, how did they, how, what's your perception of how they felt about that? Well, I, you know, um, every, you know, when we would have retro, the team is honest, you know, and they would talk about how, how they felt like it, it was difficult to, to really feel like they could make a commitment to anything because of, because of things that came up that they didn't really have a, have control in things that, things that has a company you can't really avoid, you know, you have to, you have to migrate to new technologies. You have to, in order for us to, to really be where we need to be as a, as a tech, you know, as a technologically savvy company, we, we have to, we have to update legacy code, pay down technical debt, that kind of thing. So we had to figure out a way forward to, to try to make them feel like they owned, they owned what they were doing and they had say in that. And, and to, to be fair, they do. It was just a, a matter of them knowing that they did. There's a difference between feeling like maybe we do and, and knowing that they do. And MLB does a really great job of leaving the team to their own devices, telling them, okay, we need you to do this thing. And then leaving the, the team to finding the best way forward of how to do that thing. Okay. Um, so as an engineer, I, I feel like that's a great feeling too, to know that the company kind of trusts. Company trusts you, yeah. Yeah, the company trusts you to make the right decision. Um. So with that, we, we kind of, we did a lot of exercises in going through with product and trying to figure out uh, how we could refine the roadmap as best we could. Um, knowing that we had these things that were always, that were, were locked in place, things that had to do with migrations and technical debt, but other things that we had to bring in that were feature wise, what we could do to, to make those, you know, to, to make those more exciting in terms of how the team could get together and do lunch and learns to think about the architecture of that. Um, and, and we did that as okay. best we could. So if, if there's someone listening, who's faced with a situation like this, where they're working in a system where there's a lot of legacy code, there's a lot of technical debt fires just spring up all the time. And they're really trying to figure out how to cope with that in in the, in the context of scrum and creating this time box of a sprint. Do you have suggestions for them, things that you think they should try to do to get a handle on how to cope with that? So I think the the first thing that we did as a team was we looked at, we really took a hard look at what we were, what we were getting done every sprint, how much of that really was from fires that we had to put out, 
from technical debt that we had to pay down, um, any migrational work. And then once we figured out what that, what that meant, um, we then looked to see what we could fit in that was the newer work, the cooler work, the things that, the things that engineer you get excited to build. Right. Okay. Um, so honestly, the biggest advice I, I could give is to really spend the time to sit down and look at how much of your sprint is going to that kind of work and figure out within the confines of that, what you can do. Okay. Um, if, if the team, a lot of that too, it, it feels overwhelming to a team to have to do all those things and produce all those things within a certain time frame. Um, what worked for us, um, especially, I, I know we'll get into the subject of, of having a team of specialists that are yeah, quickly becoming cross-functional. Yeah. Stay tuned if you're listening. <laughs> What, what really ha- has been helping us too is it got, it was hard for, for the team to kind of conceptually say, okay, we've all these things we have to do. And I get, I guess we'll commit to this number. I guess we'll commit to, to this amount of things we'll get done every sprint. And it, it took us breaking it down at the individual level of saying, okay, engineer one, what do you think out of this sprint you can, you can do? Okay. Out of these tickets, we have to get done. And they would say, okay, I think I can do this. So we broke it down at the individual engineer level. And then that really helped us figure out overall as a sprint, what, what the team could, could finish. Um, so are you actually assigning the work during like the, the sprint planning or the backlog refinement where you look at the stuff you're going to do? So we are soft assigning um, okay. with the caveat that they can swap out as needed, that they're not actually married to having to do that ticket. Okay. Um, the soft designing has been a really helpful planning tool for us. Okay. A valuable tip that I would tell every student not to do, but it works for you guys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's something that I, I don't think we'll do forever, but it's, it's helped us in the short term. That's awesome. So this is, yeah. this is a great tactical thing. I'm always trying to find in every podcast, at least one thing that, that we can offer that would help somebody try to get better at doing this stuff. I will say this. We did come up with, with one rule for that though. Um, one thing we were worried about with soft designing was that it would automatically fall into folks with specialties would automatically take the thing yeah, that, that, that they that were good at. at. Yeah. And we, we made sure that we didn't want that to become a problem. That was something that the team universally agreed they didn't want to happen. So okay. we made sure that when folks were, when we were talking about the work that was going to be assigned out, that we would assign it out to folks who that necessarily wasn't their comfort zone. And then they would pair with somebody and oh, okay. work on that, whose it was. So that helped too. And that also helped us later on as, as we were to become more cross-functional. Okay. So I'm going to try to set this up and then you tell me where I get it wrong. Um, when, when you guys all started, everybody got assigned to the team because they had like, this is the expert in this, this is the expert in that. And they were estimating work that they would do, which was not necessarily in sync with work. Other people would estimate things. Um, and they each treated it like they were their own private little silo of doing their own private work. And anytime something came up that required all of them to be involved, like an emergency, that jacked up the entire system because nobody had individually planned any kind of capacity for that and never knew how much of their time those things were going to suck up. That, that sounds accurate. Yeah. Okay. So how did you fix that? Cause I mean, I know you're not all the way there, but you've made a lot of progress towards addressing the lack of cross functionality, right? 
Yeah, we have. Um, the, the team has done a really great job of that. And we, we tried to allow for that too. We, we knew that as we worked towards that, that our, our predictability and velocity would, would take a dip for a little while as the team learned new things. Um, so one thing that we did to try to prepare for that was again, um, pair, code pairing was a big thing. So once that, we really, we really put an emphasis on code pairing. So if somebody picked something up that another person didn't know how to do, they would code pair. And then the next time that person would pick that, the person that paired would pick that thing up. So they were actually seeking out stuff that they knew they were not skilled at. Correct. Okay. So that means you were able to get this group of people to a point where they felt like they wanted to actually get better at their craft. Yes. Okay. And I mean, to be, to be fair, they were all pretty amiable to it. Um, okay. The majority of them were all, were all ready and willing to want to work towards that. Okay. Okay. So they're pairing up and then the next time around, the person who was sort of the novice to the, to the thing would take it on their own? Yes. Okay. I mean, with the caveat that we all sit together, we're, we're pretty much all co-located. Okay. So it would, it would be easy to tap the other person on the shoulder and say, Hey, I'm stuck. Can you, can you okay. sit with me for a few minutes? All right. And so th they're talking about this stuff all the time anyway. Yeah. The team is a really great, uh, a really great communication system with each other. They're constantly slacking, constantly talking. Um, okay. They get along really well as a team. And that's something else that that they've come a long way with. I mean, they, they always got along, but they, they're especially close now uh, a year later. So have you done specific things to try to foster those relationships? Yes. So one big thing that I wanted to do uh, right off the bat was I, I wanted my team to feel, to feel like they wanted to come into work every day, that they were happy to be part of the team. So I always thought of little things like when I was a soft, I thought about, okay, when I was a software engineer, what kinds of little things would, would make me excited to, to be at work. And it was, it was usually the, the little stuff like chips and candy at a desk, you know, like snack, a snack desk. Yeah. Um, we have, uh, we have games. Um, if so, if they have 15 minutes, they can play connect Four or whatever, um, we do lunch like and learn. actual physical board games. Yes. Awesome. We have lunch and learns. Um, we, we made a big emphasis on lunch and learn. So the team will decide on what they want to learn about, whether it's from another team or it's something cool that another engineer worked on during the sprint. And then we'll, we'll sit them down in a conference room and we'll get pizza, soda, and we'll go through it together as a team. Um, sometimes if we don't have anything, we'll just have pizza and soda together anyway. Um, we try to do a team outing um, once, at least once a quarter. I'm more frequently if I if I could, but we try to do it at least once a quarter. So it, it's just little things like that. Of you know, we decorate for Halloween. We just <laughs> it's just it's just I, I feel makes like it more playful. Yeah, I feel like it's little things like that that make you excited. Like I, I always thought when I when I was an engineer when my when my project manager, scrum master, brought in cupcakes or chips or whatever, it was yeah. something small, but it it made the day better. So okay. I try to do that as often as possible. Um, the the team's happiness is a big is a big thing to me because I think if they're happy, they'll their productivity will be better. They'll like coming to work. They'll want to stay on the team. 
So I try to work really hard on that. Okay. Now, what about within MLB? The other people that are that are, um, well, I forget, I'm totally spacing on what it's called. Technical PMs. Are you? How frequently are you sharing this kind of stuff with them and and kind of cross pollinating that and helping each other find ways to solve problems together? So um, going back to the uh, the biker gang. Yeah. Um, we have we have a uh, you have we a have clubhouse. A, yeah. I mean, I mean, a, a proverbial <laughs> clubhouse. You know, you got to knock on the door. You got to say yeah. a secret password. Um, I mean, we have a we have a Slack chat room where we share information all the time. We we're usually going and walking over to somebody's desk if we know. Uh, we have a community of practice meeting once a week. Um, where we where we share stuff, um, we vote on the topics that we want to hear about. Uh, we also have open forum. Um, it's it's a really it's a really good community and it's a really good knowledge share. We have a lot of good information. We keep a really good wiki. Um, okay. It's I, I would I would say I feel pretty spoiled by it. I, I know that that's something that's not available everywhere. So it's I feel, not available most places. Yeah. <laughs> So I I feel pretty fortunate for it. Okay. Um, now I know that because we talk about probably about I guess about once a month. Um, one of the things I I noticed with you and the way that you tend to approach work is that you're constantly running experiments with the teams, trying different things. Um, how do you come up with ideas about that? Like how are you how are you prioritizing them? How are you deciding like this is the thing we have to fix right now? So I. I'm a Googler and I am, um, I am kind of a perfectionist. So I'm constantly, I'm, I'm also trying to see what worked for other, for other scrum masters. Um, again, the community of practice thing going back, we'll, we'll hear, I'll hear about other things that other TPMs have tried yeah. that have, that have been helpful. Um, so that's sometimes part of it other, but mostly it comes from, uh, just trying to stay has on top of of what my team is is doing and thinking and feeling. Um, usually, it comes from retros. I, I my team gives very honest feedback. Sometimes it's not always the feedback that I want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's very honest feedback, and so I, I try to take that very seriously. And usually, if if they're telling me in a retro that they think the stories could be better or that they feel like there's churn or, or, or something, or they feel like they can't get a handle on estimation or whatever. I try to think of different ways to improve that. Okay. So, I, I mean, I'm just constantly checking. I, I make it my job to be a creeper and make sure they're... <laughs> creeper in a good way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what about when you get discouraged? How do you pick yourself back up? Because I know that that's something... A lot of people in this role, especially with a new team, especially when there's a lot of technical debt and a lot of failed sprints and things like that, like it's easy to get really down and discouraged. But um, how do you kind of pick yourself back up from that? Oh, God, cat memes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Cat memes, Googling, uh, going to YouTube and being like, show me the latest, show me One Direction videos, YouTube. Wow. Take me back to simpler time. Um, (laughs) When Harry had good hair. And Zane was still in the band. Show me me that. Um, But uh, it's also, I, you know, I I like to 
it's having a good support system too. Okay. Um, I know I've, I've, you've also been really great. Um, at times that I've especially been like, this is it. This is the end. I'm going to go find a fence post and impale myself on it. <laughs> so I, having a good support system is, is kind of key. To, okay. I think to, that's going to be the opening quote for the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> I think that's really important though. Cause I mean, I have days like the, that too. Like I had one a couple of weeks ago where I walk out of class. I'm like, I suck. I should not be allowed to do this anymore. Um, everybody has days like that. And I think you need to have um, a system, like things that you can do on your own and people you can turn to to help pull you back together for the next day. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I I try to have, uh, it depends on, on how badly I, I think that I fucked it up. Yeah. If it's, if it's minor, usually it's cat memes. Okay. If it's, if it's medium... It's it's YouTube. If it's major, then I'll go seek somebody out and be like, "Did I put that up?" Is yeah, it, help it? me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Um, what is so? This is uh, the last question that I have for you. Is is what is? I mean, you've taken the training for CSM and C, and C. You've taken both, right? I, I have both. not taken CSPO, but I plan okay. on on it. So, what was the biggest? Um, surprise like something about the role of scrum master that that you weren't expecting or you weren't expecting to be as big a deal as it was based on what you learned in class i think the the biggest thing that i necessarily didn't account for in class but that has come up is keeping making sure that the the line of communication between product and the dev team is open all the time. Okay. Um, Because sometimes, you know, product has other things that they're doing. um, And a lot of the time, you know, it's making sure that there's a balancing act between making, having the team get the answers that they need, having the stories refined and pointed. Right. Um, And with the nature of, the team that I have. And that's not always something that we can get. And that's not at, at the fault of product. It's just, it just comes with the fact that it's just so busy, especially around certain times of the year that that becomes a challenge. Yeah. So your and your POs are, are incredibly busy. There's a lot of stuff happening. You have a lot of different masters that have to be served. Yes. We Um, have many stakeholders. They have many stakeholders. So it, and it's just a, I don't envy that balancing act of keeping all of them happy and communicating with all of them. And still finding time to be there for the team. Exactly. And, and doing the ceremonies and doing, you know, the day, the refinement and the stories and all of that. It, it's, a, I, I do not envy that. It seems like it's a very challenging position. So how have they solved that problem? Cause I'm assuming the problem didn't go away. So it's so it's a couple of things, right? Um, sometimes it's me wearing the hat of the nag, <laughs> okay, um, of of just making sure because it, to you know, in in their defense, when you've got all these other things to do, sometimes you don't necessarily notice the outlook reminder, or you know, you've got another fire you've got to put out. So it's making sure that you know. I take it as part of my job to make sure that I'm keeping them informed 
that I'm reminding them when, when things are a priority for the team, because sometimes it's a matter of, okay, well, I don't need them for these two things, but I definitely need them for this one thing. So let me just drop those other two things and, and table them and just make sure that we have this top thing answered and, and the team in a position to where they can work on it. Okay. Um, so this is great stuff. I mean, this is a lot of good advice, I think, for people that are in this job. Is, is there any other um, kind of parting tips or words of advice you have for folks that are in a scrum master or in that kind of capacity or that role that are having a hard time? Don't get discouraged. It's easy. It's easy to get discouraged. Yesterday, I was ready to listen to like Spanish power ballads and lay on the carpet and stare at this. <laughs> it was one of those days. <laughs> but then, you know, it, the next day it gets better or something or your team has a win and you think, okay, well, I, you know, my team did this really awesome thing and I helped contribute to that yeah. by making sure that I had, you know, I had gotten them all the pieces they needed to do that thing. Okay. So that's the, it's thinking of the wins and not necessarily focusing on. On the losses. Yeah. And you're going to get discouraged, but don't give up. For sure. Yes. You are definitely going to get discouraged. All right. But, you know, have a, have a three pronged approach where it's cat memes, YouTube, and a support system. (laughs) Lots of (laughs) Spanish power ballads. Yeah. Lots, Lots of Spanish power ballads. Um. Okay, so if folks have follow-up questions with you and they're willing to be respectful and wait until the end of the season, what is the best way for them to get in touch with you? Um, I LinkedIn. If okay, or if they LinkedIn. maybe they have some really great cat memes they want to share. I mean LinkedIn. I I love a good cat meme. Okay. <laughs> I I am not that social media savvy, so LinkedIn is really the only one I have because okay. I felt okay. That's a very busy and important business person social media account yeah. I should have. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn is is the best way. I'm awesome. happy. I'm happy to chat with anybody who wants to chat. Cool. This was great, and this is your first podcast, right? It is. Yes. Well, you did an awesome job. Thank you. I was very nervous. <laughs> well, you were great, and thanks a lot for doing it. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you.